morning. Can I add my own welcome as well? My name's James and I'm the site pastor here. I have the privilege of serving you guys and uh, yeah, it's great. It's great to see many faces we know and recognize, but it's also great to see lots of faces that we don't recognize because a growing church is a healthy church and uh, you know, we want to maintain and retain that posture, don't we, of inviting people into God's presence. I don't know about you, but what was going on there? I I gotta be honest. During worship, I, it's re- I don't really often feel that much. I know some of you think I'm a quite a demonstrative character, but I actually don't often like feel stuff. And in fact, I was singing at one point there. You know where that song about I believe? I, I'll be honest. In my heart, I was going, Lord, I need some help sometimes to believe. Is that is that all right? I'm I'm quite often there. You know, as a leader, I'm like. Help me to believe, Lord. I need some help. And I just had a proper little experience of the Holy Spirit. I shouldn't be surprised. We believe in the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And sometimes he just wants to come and refresh us. And I've got to be honest, I'm absolute, I'm like shaking all over right now and having a moment. So if I just, if I stumble through this preach, it's because I don't know what God's doing, but he's doing something and I'm loving it. (laughs) It's very nice. Oh, it's good. So, um, we're about to be joined by our, our friends at Cafe Church downstairs and also over at, uh, I nearly said St. Marca, at North. And uh, so maybe if you get a check, just turn around and give them a quick wave because, you know, they're a part of our church. We love them to bits. And uh, we're going to open up God's Word in a couple of minutes' time. Listen, just, um, I guess, sort of internal news is this. In a couple of weeks' time, we want to do some baptisms you know, um, I sent out an email to the whole church just saying, hey, you know, wouldn't it be amazing uh, in a couple of weeks that if you haven't been baptized, then we'd love to baptize you. It's the next step. You know, the, uh, we read in the book of Acts, it says people repented when they came to know Jesus. And then the very next step was they got baptized and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes we get this thing back to front. Actually, the early church was like, hey guys, you've made a commitment to Jesus. He's broken into your life. Now let's make a public statement. Let's give ourselves to Jesus in baptism. And then suddenly heaven opens and these people are filled with the Holy Spirit and their lives are you know, transformed and they grow and walk with a power that they didn't have before. So we want to make that open to you. Believe it or not, it's not Thunderbirds. This thing opens up and there's a tank in here and we love to just bless folks and dunk them. We do also pull them back up as well. So, you know, so please let us know if that's you um, and let's have a chat over the next week or so. Is that all right? Cool. All right. So, um, I'm not sure how true this little illustration is, but I think it's pretty cool. Um, as far as I'm aware, I, I, do we have anybody who works in the bank? Yes, we've got one. Okay. It's a positive thing, I promise you. <laughs> Bankers are like, no, I'm, I'm hiding. Uh, back in the day, as far as I know, um, before it all went digital and all the rest of it, um, they would train bank tellers um, one of, part of their training was that they would obviously count notes. And so they would count them by hand. You know, that's a lot of work, isn't it? You think, before those fancy, fancy machines came in, where they go, they're, they're counting them by hand. And do and you know why? Because they wanted them to get so familiar with the real deal. 
Because part of the training is the managers would come along and they would slip either a counterfeit note into a, pack, a wad of cash. And so that the tellers are going through it, they'd be so familiar with what is real and true and right and good and you know, just not even by, by what they look like, but actually by how they feel. And then suddenly they might catch something and oh, that was a bit odd. What's wrong with that? And they go back and by feel, they would pick out a note and go, I, this, this, it, it looks right, but it doesn't feel quite right, and then they would hand it over for an investigation. How cool is that? We need to become familiar, very familiar with what is true, what is good, what is righteous, what is real, what has eternal value. Let's put it that way. In a world of fake news and Snapchat filters, it's hard to work out what's real, isn't it? There's a lot of projection out there, a lot of enhancements and exaggerations. There's a lot of airbrushing that goes on in our society. Carefully constructed character profiles that leave out the realities of life. Success is often defined by the speed of promotion or notoriety in the media, or how many likes we have on Instagram. So what's the real thing? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. You see, we're in 2 Corinthians, and the Corinthians had a whole bunch of questions about what is real, um, what is authentic when it comes to Christian leadership and ministry. If you were here last week, you heard that Chuck really did an amazing talk on there was probably somebody in the Corinthian community that was sowing seeds of doubt around Paul's ministry or potentially modeling uh, a ministry that wasn't authentic. But he was undermining and probably promoting something slightly different. And so we need to become very accustomed to what is really real so that we can discern what probably isn't. So that's kind of where we're going today. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 12, and then we're going to run into chapter 3. And um, the text today is answering some questions that the Corinthians have, but we don't have the questions. Let's me, let me put it that way. There's some questions that have been going on, probably in another letter or another conversation, but the text actually answers some of these questions by referring to travel plans and all sorts of stuff. And it is about competency, Paul's competency as an apostle of Christ. So that's where we're going. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's coming up on the screen. Now, when I went to Tros to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. 
To the one, we're in an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. I love that. God wants to write on our hearts with indelible eternal ink. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, if you want to if you want to try and get the gist of a passage, when a word is being repeated more than a couple of times, you know that the passage is about that word. And in, that, and in the landing of that last paragraph, competence and competency comes up three times. There is a direct question underneath all of this that says, Paul, is Paul really competent as an apostle? And so he starts to answer this question in a slightly different way or an unusual way. So, A couple of years ago, well, it's more than a couple of years ago, um, we did some work here. Um, we're going back 20, nearly 20 years uh, with young people. And uh, we, some of us in this room, um, we started a thing called Ministry of Life. Because there was a nightclub in town called the Ministry of Sin. So we just figured, hey, let's, let's you know. And so we opened up our building downstairs. And some weekends, we'd have like 25 teenagers. And other times, there was 300. It was just mayhem. Anyway, part of this, we got to know a lad called da- uh, Darren. Darren's a good lad. He's 15 years old. You know, we spent a lot of time with him. He had a lot of potential, potential to go one way or potential to go another. And anyway, so we came up with this. He came up with this harebrained thing. He said, do you see, I'd love to do a bungee jump for charity. I was like, yeah, that's a great thing. He said, one problem. I'm not 18. I got to do it with an adult. So I'm like, I'm a responsible adult. I'll do that. So me and Darren raised some money. We were in Daneston at the time, and this crane came in, 150 foot, whatever, you know, got the cage. We were all excited. We were pumped. You know, we got in the cage, you know, together. We got our bungee thing around our feet. We went up. I'll tell you what, when you get to the top, you're like, hmm, this is quite high. And so the guys were like, no, 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 you don't understand. You've got to go off. You've got to do this together. So I'm like, okay. So I'm standing there. Darren comes and stands next to me. And he says, oh, you've got to put your arms around him. And then you, James, have got to walk backwards and throw yourself out backwards. Let me tell you. Suddenly I was not the responsible adult. I thought I was. I was like, whoa. But I thought, no, 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 we're going to do this. We can do this. It's all good, you know. So there we are, you know. It's 
bit of a tight bottom moment. You're like <laughs> hanging on, and, you know, and walking back. And the guy, it's been filmed as well, by the way. I've got the VHS somewhere. VHS. Anyway, so there, you know, and the guys normally just shout, one, two, three, bungee, right? And then you lob yourself off. So I'm there, I'm gripping the sides of this thing. The boy's like, are you ready? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. Darren's like, yeah. No, you can see the whites of his eyes, you know, the whole thing. So he's like, one, two, three, bungee. I push with my legs, but my hands would not, like, let go. It was the funniest thing ever. You can watch it on video. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm stuck. And then it's really funny because I have this involuntary moment. I'm praying. I'm like, Jesus, help me to let go. It's actually all on tape. Well, I had to eventually let go, and I did the bungee jump. The thing is this. There are moments in life when you want to go forward, but there is immense tension in your life, and you, and you can't let go. There's an inner tension, an inner collision in this moment. Listen, in this passage, we see an inner tension in the life of Paul. He, a door of opportunity has opened up in, Troy, in Troas or Troy. We know Paul's posture, his entire life, is about going to the nations. And look, what does it say? But when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, God had opened up a great door for me. I still had no peace of mind. So there is opportunity, but he has no peace of mind, and he can't move. It's like the door's open, but I do not have peace of mind. He, the reason why he does not have peace of mind, because he went to Tros, because hopefully Titus was going to be there with a report that actually things were changing in Corinth. But the reality was he had no peace because he had no news and he couldn't move forward. And so he couldn't preach from a place of peace. Ministry, authentic ministry needs to come from a place of peace and unity. And Paul's saying, listen, the door was open, and yet my heart, my conscience was pricked. We need to resolve these issues before we can move forward. The same Holy Spirit that is wanting to see the nations reached for Christ is the same Holy Spirit that wants people to be at peace relationally. Paul's posture is the nation's. His vision and his whole life to be obedient to God's call. There was the nations. The goal was the nations. But how you get to the goal is just as important as reaching the goal. Paul's saying, I've got to reach the nations, but I've got to do it from a place of peace. And so he physically leaves that area and moves now back towards Macedonia. What is he doing? He's moving towards peace. Hopefully, and we learn later that he meets Titus there and with a good report that things are beginning to change. And by chapter 12, we, there is an indication that Paul goes back into Corinth and resolves the situation. I wonder for some of us, listen, we cannot, what I'm hearing here in Scripture is this. Peace and unity are very important to the Spirit of God. It's the same Spirit that wants the nations, but it's the same Spirit that wants to be at peace and unity in relationship with one another. 
It's the same foundation. It's the same mission. Is this, this is beginning, is it all right? It's, it's doing a lot of crick, crackling. Is it the wire? Hold on a sec. Let's. Are you with me on that? It's really important because, because I think, you see, sometimes there's a sense of the mission, it overrides the quality of relationship. Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't shelve his lack of peace. He doesn't ignore it by keeping going. He doesn't just put it on the shelf and think it'll go away. No, he deals with it by actually suspending something, coming back into place and tries to pursue peace. For some of us, I wonder, there is an opportunity, there is the more. But are we going to preach or are we going to do ministry from a place of peace. It seems like there may have been men and women in ministry around Corinth or in around the, 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 the new church, if you like, where they were just going but weren't valuing the relationships. The real deal, the feel of, of the real is in the relational unity of people. Paul pursues peace. He's not at peace, so he goes to resolve it. Here's a thought. Where did I lose peace? He lost peace with the Corinthians. So he then decides to go back to Corinth to resolve it. Some of us in this room have lost peace. I want to ask a question. Where did you lose your peace? Because maybe there is an opportunity in a job. Maybe there's an opportunity at church. Maybe there is a ministry opportunity. Maybe there are some things happening amongst friends and family. There is a moment, an opportunity, a great door is being opened, but you are not at peace. Please do not ignore the lack of peace. The Spirit of God is saying, let's go resolve some stuff. The door will be open. We'll come to that in a second. The doors, because it's God's door, isn't it? It's his ministry. The spirit of God is at work. He will grow the church. He will pursue people. But let's do it from a place of peace. And so that's the Paul perspective. But I just want to throw it out here. You know, look at it from the Corinthian view. We know Paul has been called by Jesus to go to the nations and to see as many people as possible come to know him. Paul wants to pursue the open door, but he can't. There is conviction. There is, this is, something's happening here. The issue is Corinth. Corinth are restricting the mission of God because of how they're behaving. When I put it like that, I'm thinking, is there anything in me? Is there any relationship that I have that is restricting another person pursuing all that God has for them? Because if there is, I want to put that right. So the mature thing would be this. Corinth would come running, in a sense, towards Paul. Let's resolve this quickly because there is a mission at hand. We have one life and we want to see a nation and we want to see the nations come to Christ. Is there anything in me that is restricting any of you 
from fulfilling God's call in your life. Does that make sense? That suddenly cuts a little bit differently, doesn't it? It suddenly does when I think about that. So maybe there is a, there's a response to this beyond this service. Let's, let's, if Paul's saying, you want to know what authentic Christian leadership and ministry and apostolic ministry looks like? It looks like at peace. A person that pursues peace with everything. A person that will probably be in tension because they want to pursue everything that God has called them to. But at the same time, he, they want to live in peace and unity with one another. And it's a great theme of Paul throughout most of his letters. Do all you can to live in unity. It's a challenge, isn't it? The real deal pursues and preaches from a place of peace. So Paul, Paul you know what, he has a big picture. He understands the bigger picture. And so he can go like, hey, it's okay, I can leave the door of opportunity and go back to Macedonia. Why? Because he has this particular view. He says this. He says, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. What he's saying is, I'm confident that I'm being led by Jesus. It's his mission. He's in charge. I'm listening to my conscience in the spirit and his mission will continue when we are obedient. And I want to be a pleasing smell to God. Do you see that? This whole smell thing, this aroma thing goes from a pleasing smell first to God and then to others. He's getting it around the right way. When we're a pleasing smell to God, then we become an aroma to other people. A good aroma. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who have been saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma that brings death, to another an aroma that brings life. Who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And so Paul uses this amazing analogy, this picture of a triumphant general coming back into Rome or into Corinth who's won a great victory. And what they would do is the general who's been out at war would come parading in with his soldiers and there'd be great big trumpets and fanfares and the priests the pagan priests they would be swinging incense in front of the procession listen you could hear and smell the procession before you could see it and so this evocative image of this general coming he's painting a picture Jesus has won a battle and and actually often the general's sons would be in tow as well whether they were at the battle or not they would be living in the victory of their dad Paul's sort of saying, guys, do you not recognize this is the Jesus that we serve? He has won a tremendous victory at the cross and through his resurrection. He's a general that's coming back. And we are beneficiaries of that. And so we live now in the shadow or under his covering and we get all of that glory. It's amazing. It's great. It's brilliant. And so he's painting this picture. Have you not got a big picture of Jesus around this? That's what he's saying. And then you know, as the soldiers came through, then, they, then those, that they were, those that they had conquered would come in chains, probably. Kings and nobles. And they would be pulled along. And guess where they were going? They were going probably to the arena. You see, Paul's painting a picture and he's using this image 
in twofold. He's saying we've got, a, con- we've got a, a glorious Jesus who's in charge of it all. The problem is, right, he puts one word in this analogy that shifts it. Because it's all about the place he puts himself in the procession. He knows he's like a son who's inherited all of the power and the goodness of a, of a victorious Jesus. But did you notice the word? Did you see it? Captive. Could you put the scriptures back up, Audrey? Up again. And again. There you go. But thanks be to God who leads us, Jesus is leading us, as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Suddenly, this changes the posture of the illustration. Because Paul doesn't see himself now. He sees himself as one that is being captured by, the, by this Jesus. He can't do anything else but serve him. And he knows where he is going. And he knows that his life is to be a life of sacrifice. And ultimately a life where he lays down his life. And the irony of it all is, is that is exactly what Paul does. He eventually becomes a martyr for Jesus. What Paul is saying here is, we are victorious in Christ. There is an eternal battle that's been won. We are sons and daughters, inherited everything. But actually in this life, we are but captives and we are are not going to hide from the fact that suffering and sacrifice are a part of this deal. You see, he's answering a question that's not on the paper, but has been muted, that actually if you're a real apostle, then surely life is hunky-dory. And Paul is saying that is not the case. Sacrifice is a part of this. Look at Paul's, he, he, you know, in Romans 1, he says, I'm but a slave to Christ. Ephesians 3, I'm Paul, a prisoner of Christ, literally. He elsewhere talks about, I have been captivated by my Jesus. There is nothing else I can do now that serve him and give my life for him. 1 Corinthians 4 says this, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned in the arena. We have been made a spectacle, a spectacle to the whole universe. We are fools for Christ but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are dishonored. And to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. You see, this is, Paul is repainting the picture of what Christian leadership is all about. It's not all about, woohoo, everything's supersonic and fine. Not everything has a Snapchat filter on it. That's what he's kind of getting at. He says, we're real people. And by the way, maybe our health is going to suffer at times. Just because I love Jesus doesn't mean that I'm not going to get ill or I'm going to have a thorn in my flesh or some things aren't going to work properly or actually I'm going to have resistance and persecution in my life. He's saying real leaders are going to experience some of these things because they're living a life of preferring others to themselves. Powerful imagery now. Isn't it? 
it might involve some suffering. And so when others try to bend him to their expectations of what they believe a leader should be, he's saying, no, 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 this is what it is. And there is no veneer on it. Otherwise, it would be fake news. We want perfect leaders, but there is no such a thing. But there are leaders where their posture is pursuing Jesus with everything. And as they do that, as they die to themselves, they bring life. So into a world of self-preservation, promotion and profit, the fragrance of Christ can only come through being led in the triumphal procession as captives of the cross. I mean, that's worth tweeting, I think. The perfume is all about the place we are in the triumphal procession. The real deal reeks of self-sacrifice and a life that reeks of Jesus is made up of loads of little moments that whiff of him. It's rare, it's like one moment that does it, but a life of lots of little moments that whiff of Jesus. You know, I've asked for permission to tell this story again, and I've told it before, but um, we're going back about 10 years at least, and we used to, the Purdy's used to live in Norway, and so we used to fly out, and we used to visit with them, and it was such fun. Our kids were a lot younger then, and I remember uh, one evening, um, I think Jim must have been cooking, and uh, uh, won't talk about that. That's not. That's not <laughs> it was a great meal, by the way. But we, it came to for dessert. It was dessert. And guess what? The kids were all a bit younger. You have to remember this. Kinder egg surprises came out. Who liked a good Kinder egg surprise? The reality is, though, you need a degree in engineering to get into these things. Anyway, so you all get the Kinder Egg surprise, an egg, and the chocolate egg, and inside is this little thing that you could put together, and it's like a little surprise. Woohoo! You know. Anyway, so the kids all get them. I can't remember what we had as adults. Anyway, we were doing their thing, and they've got their little surprises. Now, Chloe, who we love dearly, and she doesn't behave like this at all, but man, she got the grump on. She was like, I don't like my surprise. You know, she's like, oh, it's rubbish. No, 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 no. All right, we were all like, ah, it's fine, it's fine. Luke just gets out of his seat, takes his surprise, which was by far the best surprise in the room, walks round our girls, goes across, nobody's saying anything, goes across, goes to Chloe, puts down his Kinder Egg surprise, picks up her Kinder Egg rubbish surprise, walks then round the table, sits back down. Now, I don't know about you two, but me, I'm watching this thing and my eyes are like. It just reeked of Jesus. I'm going to give my best and prefer you, Chloe. And I'm going to take the thing that you think is rubbish and I'm going to go play with it. Listen, I'm not, I am bigging up Luke because in that moment I just saw an illustration of a little moment that whiffs of Jesus. And I was in that moment, I went to bed that night and I said, Lord, in the right sense, I want to be like Luke. Because if our life, this is what Paul's getting at, leaders and ministry is about that. 
It's about saying, in Jesus, we're going to prefer the other person. And there will be cost in that moment. But man alive, when that gets cracked open, oh, it smells. It just smells of him who loves us and loves others. What a, the perfume. That's what Paul is getting at. The aroma of Christ in this moment happens because we're willing to do something with our lives and lay it down in some way. It comes at a cost. It's not all vitriolic stuff. There is victory, but there is the real smell of Jesus comes when we give our lives and give over our lives in little moments constantly. Can you imagine if we as a people lived more and more like that at work? in our schools, at our university, around people that are struggling or those that are almost like, animo- there's animosity towards us and we're willing to take our Kinder Egg surprise, swap it out. Imagine what that does. That's what I think Paul is getting at. He's saying something around the real deal. You smell it, you see it, you feel it. When we know that we're in the right place in the procession. We could do a whole sermon on how do you smell. Couldn't we? That evokes immediately some stuff. Because I tell you what, we, you know what? We, we, we emit a smell before we even walk in the room. Our reputations go before us and they cling to the room when we leave. The question I'm asking myself is just what do I smell like? in those moments? What am I leaving with people? What are people sniffing before I even arrive? I just want to smell like Jesus. Sounds cheesy, but I think it's, this is what Paul is trying to get at. And then I want to land on this final thing. We could say a lot more about the smell and the aroma. But I think There's always proof when you meet the real. When you meet the real deal, there's generally proof. And I think proof in this context comes in the shape of living letters. You want to know authentic, you want to see and recognize the real deal. There is proof of transformed lives. There is a track record. There is something and somebody to point to or actually the person themselves doesn't need to point them out. It's pretty obvious that around that person lives are being transformed. That's why Paul comes to this last little bit and he talks about letters of recommendation. He's saying you want to know whether, you know, I am carrying a letter of recommendation from the Peter and John and James or whatever. You know, people had to have letters of recommendation to show that they were, the, they were authentic and they were real deal. So quite often in business, if, or you, know, you had a representative going to another city to buy goods, they carried with them a letter of recommendation with the seal of the household in which they were coming from so that they had, hey, my credit is good with you. But the reality is this, fraud happened in that world just as much as it does happen in our world. Theirs might have been on paper and wax, but ours is digital and all the rest of it. Listen, what Paul is saying here is, a piece of paper doesn't do, do it justice. 
You need more than a piece of paper. You need to look at the track record of a man or a woman's life. You need to look at the track record of a church, church's ministry to see whether it's lasting and people's lives are changing and there's real fruit. He's saying to the church in Corinth, you want proof? You're my proof. You're my letter of recommendation. Look at your own lives. When me and Titus and Timothy came to you probably six or seven years ago, we spent nearly two years with you. Now, perfume can be smelt at a distance, but a letter needs to be read up close. He's saying, you read my life. You looked at the small print of my life. When we placed our hands on you, you received the Holy Spirit. Was that a real moment? They would all be going, absolutely. My life was utterly transformed under your ministry. He's saying, why are you questioning it now? Your lives were transformed. I've not changed. I'm doing what what I was doing back then. I'm still doing today. Paul's saying the letter of recommendation is you, and you are now a letter to the world. I came to you as a living letter of Jesus, an invite to a whole new way of being. I lived an open life before you. You had access, VIP access, into how I lived. You, did you see integrity? Did you see good character? Was God at work by his spirit amongst us? They would all go, absolutely. He's saying there is proof. There is proof. Proof is found in living letters of recommendation. So how do we know what's real in a world of fake? (laughs) What's of God and what's of man? What's of heaven and what's of earth? What can we pull from this message for us today? I think the real deal is this. Paul preached from a place of peace. Christian ministry is about, yes, pursuing the nations, but also pursuing peace at the same time. And that will bring tension. It's about where we are in the procession. Where we place ourselves, where we see ourselves, how we see that. It's about sacrifice. It's about loving others, preferring others above profit and self-gain. That's what he's speaking into in the Corinthian culture. And he's saying, do you want proof? Lives around are changed. There is authentic change and fruit. And we could probably look at that a little bit more. But why don't we stand? Because I think as we do this, and we ask about the real deal, I can't help reflecting, Lord, would you cut out the stuff in me that's fake? Because the more real we are with one another, the more real we are with you, the more sweet a perfume you are to the world, more convincing we are that we are authentic in how we're following you. So Heavenly Father, as we just stand now, we ask, Holy Spirit, you'd come upon us. You'd speak to us. You'd speak into our hearts and affirm those areas that where we're pursuing you and we're pursuing peace. And maybe for some of us today, you know there are some areas, some people, some relationships where you are walking towards Macedonia and you're saying, I'm leaving this to pursue that. I want to pray, Jesus, you would be with these people. You would give them the words to speak, the open heart towards others. 
And we pray for reconciliation. We pray for reconciliation. I pray for us in this room, Lord. Any of us in this room that have something against a brother or a sister, we would lay it down and we would release them so they can run hard in you and for you. We say no to envy and jealousy that lassoes other people and binds us up. We remove that lasso and we speak life to people around us, to our small group leaders, to the leaders in this church, to, to trustees, to others and friends. We just say, run hard for Jesus. 